All right, so this morning, we're going to do things a little bit differently. Um, as much as I like to preach, uh, we're going to have a, this is going to be a little bit of getting feedback from you guys in, in the congregation and, and, and some, and some Q&A time. I need the uh, clicker. Somebody move my clicker. It's like my when my dad says, somebody move my glasses. But, uh, you know, dads don't do anything wrong, right? Anyways. So I've been doing this series on um, sitting, walking, and standing uh, in the Lord, with the Lord. And it's out of the book of Ephesians. The past couple of messages have been about sitting. And sitting is, is about our position in Christ. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians talks about how we're seated in Christ at the right hand of the Father. And that he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Colossians 3 says, we are in Christ. We've died and we're now in Christ. And so we're, we're seated at the right hand of the Father. And yet, and we're trying to manifest that reality here in our current life of, of this position that we're living from as Christians in, in heaven at the right hand of the Father and trying to manifest it here on earth. And, and part of it is uh, just doing away with the old ways. Paul said in the love chapter, he says, you know, when I was a child, I acted like a child. And he says, but... As I became older, I put childish things away. Now, what he's saying is, is not what, you know, Jesus commended children for their faith and their, their childlike devotions. And so Paul's not saying, like, get, like, real serious and, like, you know, try to, like, do everything right the first time. That's what adults would like to do. Kids, you know, they don't, they don't mind trying stuff over and over if somebody's not scolding them or, or shaming them. And so what, what Paul's saying is like these immature ways, these old ways that are immature in love, because kids, as, as uh, simple as they are, they do do this. That's mine. That's mine. You know, I've heard one, one, pat, one preacher, he described children as little flesh creatures. And that's where they are. I mean, it's, I mean, you're, you're born with a sinful nature because they might be sweet and they might have this beautiful moment and they're doing this. Hey, you've got a pile of cheese balls that you can't possibly eat every day for a month. You couldn't eat that whole thing and then say, can I have a cheese ball? No, it's mine. That's mine. No, no, no. And so it, that's, what, that's what Paul's telling about. Put those childish things away because we do that. When parents, when we're like this, when the children are screaming and, and we scream louder than them, you, what we're doing this is like, All right, listen, I can throw a bigger fit than you can. I will show you, I will put you into submission with my tantrum. That's what we do, right? We have those moments. We try not to do that, but we have those moments. And so... 
So we want to, I'm wanting to get into how do we walk this out? How do, we walk, how do we walk out being seated with Christ? And so the Christian life, it begins with sitting, but sitting's always, always followed by walking. And so when we found our strength in sitting down, we can begin to walk. When we reverse this order, it usually ends in disaster. And so, like, there's so many things that we think this is, it's a great idea. God's, you know, even in trying to obey the Lord, we, we, we try to do it out of a place of earning God's love instead of I'm already loved. And that's when things go sour, and that's when the moment um, you get some resistance, we turn into or- we turn into the older brothers. Is like, where's the where's the party at for me? Where's the fatted lamb? Where's where's all this stuff? Like, I'm earning. I'm like the 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 older brother. He, in a weird way, he tried to strive to manipulate his father. And so what striving does is tries to manipulate God into doing what we want him to do. He's like, listen, I'm doing A, B, and C, God, so you need to do X, Y, Z. That's what striving really boils down to, trying to manipulate God. But it comes out of a place of not knowing you're loved, how much you're loved. And so when we start from the place of, I'm God's favorite before, like God came... He's, he came after me before I was even wanted to be a Christian. And it says, as you receive the Lord Jesus, so walk in him. And so we walk in that, in that place of like, God loves me no matter what. And I talked about this last week where people get confused and where you get like a hyper grace message mixed up in this. There's like, God loves me so much. I don't, he just loves me and I can do whatever. So that means... I get to, so grace becomes a license to sin instead of the ability not to sin. That's, and so that's where it gets twisted. And we think that God loves me. I don't even have to, I don't have to do anything for his love. And that's true. But it gets twisted because we start thinking God wants to build a world around me. This is about me. And in 2 Corinthians 5, it says that we don't live for ourselves. So. Jesus has done everything for us, and our need now is to rest confidently in him. So sitting describes our position with Christ in the heavenlies. Walking is the practical outworking of that heavenly position here on earth. And this word walk means to literally walk around, to comport oneself. I dare somebody to use comport this week in a conversation. I'm on, when I'm training one of my clients, it's like, if you'll just comport yourself on that bench there in the pressing position, all right, to order one's behavior. For we're his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, but be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So your behavior always follows your beliefs. So you got good beliefs, good truth that you're believing, you'll have good behavior. We're not trying to behave rightly, we're trying to believe rightly. All right. 
And, it's, and another way of saying that is we're not trying to do better, we're trying to see better. And so when you can see clearly, because God is, Jesus is the light, right? So when he shines his light and we can see things for what they are, oh, yes, that's, that's not good. I want to go down that way. This is good. This is the way of life. Then we, we go that way. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the, in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Look carefully then how you are to walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So different arenas that we, that we walk in. Number one is our family. This is our marriage, our children. If you're single, it's, it's your relatives, your parents, other relatives, siblings, extended family. The second arena is this, the body of Christ. So Ephesians talks about how, how we're to um, walk with each other. It says being, being patient with one another, loving one another, uh, preferring one another, all the one another's. And then it talks about in the world, the marketplace, our, our work and our leisure, where it says, don't walk as, Colossians says, don't walk as unwise, but as wise. Let your speech be seasoned with, with grace and, and have a, you know, be prepared to give a word in season, out season, all these types of things. And so those are the three arenas that we walk in. And we're called, in Ephesians 2.20 says that we were built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus being, himself being the cornerstone of the faith. He's the, he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. But the, found, but the foundation is also upon the apostles and prophets. So, and so speaking of, basically, he's talking about the word of God and also the examples that the apostles uh, set for us in following the Lord. And this word apostles is a, um, in the Greek, so you have the Greek language and then you have the Roman Empire, which uh, was used the Greek language, but they were given apostles in the Roman army where these people, if there was a conquered land, the emperor would send this apostle into this, this land that was just conquered. And the job of that apostle into that conquered land was to implement the Roman culture into that land. And so these apostles, it simply means sent ones. And so as, as Christians, you, we have there's the fivefold gifts in Ephesians 4, which is apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists. And the apostles uh, in, the, in the body of Christ, they carry authority to for signs and wonders, but they one of the but really the main thing that they do is they bring a revelation of the culture of heaven, which is going to include power, the ability like heaven on earth. And so they and so apostles they'll they'll bring a revelation of the culture of heaven, of what it looks like to walk with Jesus and and how to bring it here to earth. And so they're, they're mainly at their foundation, they're culture changers. And they, and they do it in different ways. Now, not all of us are apostles, but we're all called to be apostolic. And what I mean by that is you're called to be a culture changer. That's, all, that's when you hear people say, man, you're apostolic. Yeah. In my mind, what that means is you're, you're called to change the culture. 
And really, how you do that is simply following Jesus. <laughs> God, he never, like, complicates it. Because if when you follow Jesus and you're like, I'm not going to compromise anything in my life. I'm just, I'm going to live by Jesus' standards. You end up being apostolic because Jesus was, <laughs> he was the whole fivefold gift mix all in one. He was an apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, and evangelist. He was all of it. So when you follow Jesus, you end up being apostolic. And so when we're apostolic, what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve is that, and, I, and I've talked about this before, is the, basically the sin of eating from the fruit of the tree of, of good and evil was it, man decided in that moment, we know better than God. Man's going to decide what is good and what is evil. And what happens with that, Isaiah says, woe to you who call evil good and good evil. And so who sets the plumb line for what is right? The Lord does. But man's been trying to do that all the years of, you know, since creation. And so when, as, when we're apostolic, what we're doing is like we're setting a plumb line of what is, if not necessarily even what is right and wrong, but what is the way of life. And the example I want to give you is, is, is this um, story that Watchman Nee told. He said there was a, a rice farmer, and every day he'd pump water to irrigate his fields. And, you know, rice fields, they flood the fields to grow the rice. And his neighbor would breach, would make a breach in the fields and water his fields with that guy's water. And he did this a few times. And he was like, this guy's, I mean, this guy was stealing, essentially. But this, this farmer was a Christian, and he gathered some of his Christian friends, and he said, this guy, he's stealing my water. What, what should we do? And they started praying about it. And one of his friends says, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, he said, man, we'd be sorry Christians if we just did what everybody else would do. And that stuck with this farmer. And, he's, and so what he started doing is he started watering his neighbor's fields before he watered his own fields. And he just did that repeatedly. Like, and the neighbor's like, what are you, why are you doing this? And he was amazed at the generosity of his neighbor. And he ended up giving, becoming a Christian simply because this man chose actually not to execute what is right and wrong in man's eyes. He, so, there's, so there's right and wrong, and there's a higher standard than that, and it's called the way of life. It's called following Jesus. It's because Jesus, if he had exercised his rights on the cross, an army of angels would have rescued him because he was not guilty. And so as Christians... Oftentimes, the way of life looks like forgiving a debt, whether it's emotionally or even financially, whatever it is, but it's, it's called forgiving debts, and, and it's, it's a life that represents giving, that you, that you live from a place that doesn't run out of resources. You, run out, you, you live from a place that doesn't run out of grace. Otherwise, there's no way you can love your enemies if, you're, if it's about right and wrong. You can't ever love your enemies if it's about right and wrong. 
if it's about life, then you can. But everything Jesus asks you to do, you've got to have him to do it through you. It's not in your strength to do it. And so, I want to talk about, uh, in Ephesians 5, it talks about how husbands and wives relate to each other. And I want to allow some time for feedback on this. So, how about you just open your Bible to Ephesians 5? And I'm not going to read it. And I'm going to, I want you to answer this question. I want some volunteers to give me an answer. I'm going to come around with a microphone. I'm going to hold the microphone for you just so you know, if you you grab for it, I'm not going to let go just because I don't want you to be awkward tension when I do that. And I'm like, no, I'm not letting go. And so, um, but how can you, we walk apostolically in our families? How can we set culture, the culture of heaven in our families? And so if you're single, how do, what does this look like for you in your families? If you're married, you have children, what does that look like for you? If you, in relationship to your parents, whether you're single or married, what does that look like? Extended family, whatever the case may be, what, is, what does it look like? to walk apostolically, and then after we do this, um, I'm going to open it up for any questions that you might have about family, about parenting, about marriage, to uh, Jessica and I, we've been, we're coming up on 18 years, which really isn't uh, super long, and sometimes I'm like, 18 years, that's pretty good, and, and but then I'm like, you know, my parents are coming up on 55, you know, so I'm like, it's, you know, but we'll, Whatever God's taught us, we, won't, we don't have all the answers, but whatever God's taught us, we, we want to share that, and um, hopefully it can help you out. But so is, can anybody give me a, their, their two cents on how can, how can we walk apostolically in our families, because we're all called to be apostolic? Who's, who's going to break the ice here? I will, I will call you out. Thank you. Okay, yeah, go ahead and hug Clint. Clint is always worthy of a hug. Okay, I'm Clint's mom-in-law, by the way. Um, thank you for your testimony. That was so wonderful. So if you don't keep score, because when you keep score, there's always resentment which leads to revenge, and what I notice is revenge is when you, it's, it's when you're proactive, but it's also when you hold back. So measurement is the enemy of joy, so you, you can't keep score. That was really good. <laughs> 38 years. Someone else? Is that, are you... What is this, Matt? You got you to give it. <laughs> okay. Hey, guys. Um, I would say as far as speaking from a man's point of view, I think one of the best things that we can do is decide, answer the question, who am I? 
figure out who you are, whose you are, and study, as far as a man goes, study what God's intention for a man was to be, and then orient your, your beliefs on that. And I just think that's a really strong point for a man to start out deciding what kind of man you're going to be and how you're going to lead your family, how you're going to, how you're going to do life. And um, then once you have the wisdom on what a man is, on who you are, then get wisdom on how God created women so that you can get busy understanding. Yeah, I'll stop there. <laughs> yes, that's good, Matt, because uh, I'm still learning. Raise your hand if you're a husband. You're still learning. Yeah, it's a, it's a never-ending process. It's good. So one thing for us that really has worked well has been uh, not to put expectations necessarily on one another, but if we have expectations, to put them on Jesus. And so, um, and this actually even works when there's certain things that you're frustrated with somebody else. Maybe the Lord is actually using that to train you as well. So when we keep him in the center, uh, it just makes things a lot easier. So we can just say, hey, Lord, you know, spank them or whatever. And usually he, he knows exactly what to do to get to us. So That's good. I like put your expectations on Jesus. Anytime you um, expect somebody to fulfill, to make you happy, I'll put it that way, you, you will be disappointed. No, I'm not that experienced, but I feel like if you just ask God how he sees your family and then call it out to them and then treat them as he sees them instead of how you see them, it would clear up a lot of arguments and make it better. <laughs> That's good, Noreen. That's wisdom, honey. Anyone else? Sammy. Uh, something us Morrises have been learning is uh, there's like a way that we individually like to receive love, but that's not necessarily how our, my spouse does. So learning and taking the time to learn how she receives love best and not just doing how I would prefer is a, it's a great way that we do that. Yep. Um, something that I'm on a journey right now of um, learning about healing, and even though I've been a Christian my whole life, just learning about what the power of the Holy Spirit is, and that is healing, and that um, expecting it and trusting God to do it, and um, so we pray for my back a lot. Um, I have chronic pain, and Clint is so faithful to do that, and our girls see it, and um, so recently... They've been exposed to it and seen it, praying for healing, but mostly for me. So recently, um, on this journey of trusting the Lord and his power to heal, I've just been praying over the girls, just, you know, they have like a rash or just laying hands, no matter where we are, and just speaking healing. Um, so I guess that boils down to practicing the power of God, and it seems so simple, but I think we don't do it um, as much as we can. And it's really fun to see Salem, our four-year-old, 
um, she talks about healing a lot. And the other day <laughs> she said, she was like, Mom, did you know I pray for your back every day? And then she said, even on Christmas Eve, like that. And it was just, it's so, it was just so cute. So if you have young children, pray for healing because it will build their faith. Yeah. That's so good. She's laying her life down for you right there. think that if walking follows sitting, then I think that we have to know what it looks like to sit with our families and to embrace our adoption in Christ first and, and find rest with our families. Yeah, that's good. So I would say uh, to walk apostolically in our families to remain who you are, uh, no matter who's around. So like if you have people over, you have your kids have friends over like just go ahead and do your weird Christian thing that you normally do and um, it will it will spread the culture um, but just maintain it and don't back away from it because people might not understand but just let them have an opportunity to experience it yes that's good I think um, remembering that nobody owes me anything and uh, it's not about me are two really big things for me. That's good. Y'all got to harmonize this. <laughs> I think um, what's so important is First of all, each marriage partner, man and wife, follow God, honor God. But next, it's loving each other, which impacts everything that happens with the rest of the family. So that relationship is just so key. And you can tend to get focused on your kids and what's going on with them instead of staying together and looking at that together. <laughs> this is amazing. We've been married 40 years this year. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> exactly. I said, what? That's I'm learning. You're, you're following that you are. You're following the Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we, we try, Jessica and I try on purpose, just so I can testify this, to gross them out by, we'll do this. Hey, hey, look over here. And, They'll look and we kiss like right when they do it. And they're like, oh my gosh. And I had a, um, our car when there's a, uh, I hope this doesn't embarrass my wife, but it, in our car, if there's like a car slams on the brakes, it, this red light comes, comes up and it beeps this loud beep. And we had uh, somebody put on the brakes. It wasn't like a close car or anything, but the, the little, Alarm went off, and it was like, beep, 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 beep. And Lydia went, what was that? I said, it's just a, it's a hot mom alert in the car. <laughs> and, she, and she was like, dad. She, I mean, where, after, she, she, just, she, went, she went, she was like, that's gross, stop. <laughs> she said it just like that. She went, really, what was it? You know, just like, 
I'm, I'm over it, but hang on. I have no idea what you're going to say. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anybody else do? No, as a parent, um, a lot of times you have ideas for your kids and what you want them to aim towards and everything like that. But um, what happens is God always judge, uh, uh, shows me that what I may have in mind for my kids, that's not exactly what my kids want to do. Um, so that's when I learn over and over again to lay it down and give it to him in a platter. That's how I imagine myself. I kneel before him and I give it to him in a platter and say, my kids are yours. And then hear what he's saying about them at this moment and what they're trying to learn or what the Lord is using this time for and write it down or, or um, dwell in it and release them to be able to figure it out themselves and pr just pray. That's good, I, I think. You know, what Deborah is highlighting on is this is so important to listen to the Lord in relation to your, to your family. And, you know, prayer is not talking at the Lord all the time. It's prayer is being in a dialogue. And so good dialogue means you listen as, as well, if, if not more than you talk to the Lord. So I think changing the culture of a family has a lot to do with honesty and honesty through love and like saying things that are honest and true, what God's telling you to say, even if it's going to make them unhappy, but saying it through like gracefulness and through love and knowing like if it's something God wants you to say, then it's going to turn out for the positive. That's good. more of a perspective of a son, I think the best thing you can do is just build a relationship with your family. It will change your perspective immensely. As someone who was not always close with my family, even like a simple coming downstairs and saying hello and just greeting people will just change the way you think and change the way you see it. And it will also affect the people in your family. It's good, Trey. It's good, buddy. Just to take Chase's one more step, when you're a husband, I think something really cool is you include your wife's family and you develop relationships. If she has brothers, sisters, mom and dad, you, you start recognizing them too on a relationship. So like Chase said, come downstairs and say, hey, obviously I don't, I don't live with my in-laws, but that looks like calling them and like just talking to them, telling them about your life and your side of your family history, not always just your wife's side. That's good, Greg. Well, um, we want to open up for any questions, especially in regarding this chapter because it talks about wives submitting to your husbands. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loves the church. Um, and so we're going to, we've got about 10 minutes to answer any questions you have. I'll come 
to you. You can ask the question, and Jessica and I will uh, try to answer as best possible. So this is Turbo uh, Marriage Counseling. But we'll, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll offer up whatever we can give. And uh, just uh, also, this isn't just marriage. It's like for if you're single, if you are, you know, if your spouse has passed away or whatever your story is, like if there are questions, what we found recently is in talking to friends, we're all we're all swimming upstream. Right, and you bump into people, and if you have conversation, like little insights are super helpful. And so, just the other day at a basketball game, one of the dads said to Travis, "Like, what are y'all doing about cell phones?" And so, as Josiah knows, he can have a cell phone anytime he wants one, right, son? What 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 do you have to do to get it? <laughs> he has to pay for it. I mean, I'm not keeping him from having a cell phone. He can have a cell phone. He just has to go get it and pay for it. Pay the bill. It'll be totally fine. So anyway, I know that's silly. But, um, but yeah, we're not doing cell phones. And so it, was, it just helped to have this conversation with this other family because we're all trying to figure it out. So whatever it might be, we're not single anymore, but we were. And we've got lots of single friends and, you know, my sweet mama, she's been single a long time, and she's one of my favorite people. She's actually moving here in two weeks, FYI. I know, very exciting. She'll be here. We'll have me mama on the grounds on Sunday. Um, so just know this is not like y'all can tune, you know, the single people can tune us out. Y'all ask the questions too. Yeah, I meant to say that too. So. <laughs> So, you know, having two small girls, I know y'all have two girls, and the world is scary and mean. How do you not succumb to fear or anxiety just thinking about them entering into the world at some point? I know I got a few years, but still, I find myself already kind of getting worked up about that. That's why you do jujitsu, right? <laughs> So I would say that um, this apostolic thing is a huge part of that, Clint, is that we, um, we haven't kept our kids away from non-Christians, but we invite them into our home, and it's amazing how they, you know, we have one little girl who's not a believer, and she, you know, we'll sit down, and she's like, don't, don't eat yet, we're going to do y'all's blessing, because, you know, we do the dance thing and everything. She loves our blessing, you know. And it's just watching God chase down these kids is, is super exciting. But it's the thing of keeping our culture no matter where we are. So there was a big basketball after party last night at this real nice place and the sweet family and, you know, all the basketball teams in there. And I have two girls on the basketball team. So I just walk them in and I'm like, hey, my girls can't do TikTok. Just letting everybody know. I just go in and say it just like that. And it's awkward and weird and 
They're like, yeah, we don't let our, one of them, like, we don't let ours do TikTok either. You know, four of the girls have TikTok on their phone. I'm like, just not tonight. Like, I don't make the rules for everybody else's family. That's what we tell them. Like, you were born into this family. Like, we have to have the wisdom for you. And so um, I a actually asked them this morning on the way here because I knew we were going to do this. I didn't know this would come up, but I just, um, I kind of had a thought. And so I said, does that embarrass y'all? How do y'all feel when I do that? And Zuri, Lydia said, I don't really care. I would tell them I don't want to do it anyway. That's just how Lydia is. But Zuri said, it really helps me because I don't want to have to tell them no. And so figuring out with, you know, it's all different. Like I could tell you something, you know, you and Leah are going to figure it out for yours and Lacey and Daniel are going to figure it out for theirs and Tommy and Laura are going to figure it out for theirs. But it's like who, which kid has the, the need? Now, I, I do it kind of uniformly about things we're really passionate about, which that is one of the things that we're like, you just can't do that. And the girls know not to be on other people's phones, but that thing, they can take pictures of each other and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so I'm just saying, as you, and the other thing that I would say, not to go too long on this, the other thing I would say is um, that you guys are a team. Like, we're a team. The gay family is a team. And they have each other's back. And so it's, um, it's just really helpful for them to know that they, there's somebody else that's in doing that same thing. They're siblings, you know, and we are fighting with each other, like, for the same thing. And so just having that continuity within your home, within your family, it makes them more powerful when they go out to the scary world. Yeah, and I, I started, uh, when I started putting the kids on the school bus, I started realizing how little control I had. You know, I was just like, somebody else driving my kids, you know, and so that, it's, that's when it kind of rubber hit the road for me where I'm like, God, you got to be their father and, and protect them and do all the things I want to do for them when I can't be there. What is your view on dating and having, allowing your children to date and things like that? Jessica. <laughs> so my thoughts on dating are um, that there just needs to be lots of authenticity and that, uh, lots of honesty. So I not only do that with, like, young people, but, like, older people. So, like, I mean, he's been around a little bit, but Megan has, has brought boys around at different times, right? And so I ask Megan really hard questions when she brings boys around because I love Megan. And so I do the same thing with my girls now and with Josiah. And he's like, I don't like girls, I know, but I still am asking the questions because one day when that's happening, I want them to talk to us. So we didn't have like this one moment where we talked about the birds and the bees. It's like an ongoing conversation in our family. So it's not weird, it's not, it's not silly. I mean, sometimes it's silly. Now, we do live on a farm, so it helps. But, um, but I would say just 
walking with them and if they decide to date, like walking with them in that process because that I think the reason that I feel that way is because the other option is for them to hide it. And so anything hidden gets real scary, like scary things are in that dark. And so just helping your family know to keep things in the light. And, and that starts, you, you don't start that when they start dating, but that starts with like you being in the light with them and then um, giving them opportunity to be in the light as well. Yeah, and I would just say it's, uh, I, my first impulse is to be dogmatic, like, you can, no, we're not doing that. Uh, but, <laughs> but you really want them to discover, like, why they're doing it. If they, so if they, if, like, one of our girls wants to date or what, and then <laughs> I'll go into the pasture and yell no at, at the sky. <laughs> but, um, but. So it's like, why do you, so why do you want to date and, and see what they, what their reason is. And then it's just like, for me, um, you know, this, I'm like, okay, so if you want to remain abstinent, why are you kissing? And so I know that, I know, like me and Jessica did work this out in our, we, we kissed and dating and stuff like that. And then we stopped because we're like, while we're doing this. And so I'm not saying, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you. So what's the end game for kissing? What is it? Well, usually the end game for kissing is sex. <laughs> like open, open mouth kissing is like sex with your mouth. And, and so, um, so that's why I'm like, well, why? And, but you, but everywhere in culture, it's like, when you start liking somebody, you got to kiss them. And you don't really know why, but you got to kiss them because that's what you do. And I realize you have hormones, there's, you know, there's hormones and attraction and all that kind of stuff that pushes you toward in that direction. But this is why we're called to be apostolic. Now, God loves kissing and sex and all that things the way he intended it to be used. And so... I know that it wasn't exactly your question, Deborah. I think Jessica answered it well. But my whole question, when if our kids want to get into that stuff, my question is going to be, why are you doing it? And because I really don't have a whole lot of control, because they can hide it from us. They can be smooching some boy at school, and we'd never know. And then when I find him, <laughs> I will. So, but anyway, all right, listen. Right, yeah. That's right, Tommy, I like your thinking. Um, I know you guys had three kids back-to-back -back pretty closely, and we have three under five. What does it look like to prioritize your marriage when you're raising kids, like, so close together and they're all pretty needy at this point? What did that look like? Go ahead, babe. I'll say it's hard. We pray for y'all a lot. It's hard when you have little kids. Um, I think um, continuing to pray with each other is, I feel like I'm looking over here, I'm going to look at y'all. Y'all are pretty. Um, so I think praying together is a really big deal as a couple. 
And that's one of the first things to go because a lot of times in that season we get really good at communicating loudly. Um, <laughs> like, you know, because we have a lot of miscommunication in that season. But, or we have to talk about schedules, but we can stop praying together. So um, we say that marriage sits on like a three-legged stool, and if one of the legs isn't there, then it falls over. And so the three legs are prayer, communication, and sex. And so to keep it really simple, to keep doing those three things, to keep praying together, to keep having sex, and to keep talking. Even if you're fighting, like at least keep talking. And so, but, and, and so, and the sex thing, it, that gets hard because there's so many little people and everybody needs something, especially from the mama. It's like everybody needs something. (laughs) I mean, I know daddies too, but it's just like, and so, but just keep doing it because it, it really is helpful to all of us, to everyone in the family. And so, um, the, and so utilizing whatever you can utilize to get a date night, if you have to use the money for the babysitter and just go sit at the botanical garden and look at each other, like, do that. I'll if you just <laughs> If you just drive around the loop and talk without somebody screaming in the back seat, just, if you can have just the moment to think, okay, we need just a few minutes together and know that it might get interrupted. But what we do is we pray before we go to sleep. So we usually end up in bed together at some point, even if we're back and forth with kids, even still. Um, We pray together at night. And that it's consistent. We can do that every night. So I would say praying together is just a huge deal because when, when you pray together, you talk to each other differently. Yeah, and I, I would just say that it's, um, Jessica did a great job about being intentional in our marriage because she was like a, a, this one-stop shop for all of our kids because she was breastfeeding and changing diapers and then her husband wanted to have relations with her, you know, and so it's like, um, she's just like, I'm just being used here. And so, <laughs> which I, I was like, you know, stop five seconds, think about it. Yeah, you kind of like, you know, convenience store here. But uh, we, we, uh, I noticed when we, the kids were older that because the, the kids were so around that we, we stopped being affectionate. A lot of that was, you didn't even realize it. You get faded out of like, just, I'm not, I'm just talking about like putting your hand on each other's leg and, and stuff like that 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 had faded away without even realizing it because you just got demands right in your face every single time you, you look. And then next thing you know, you know, there's like a space in the bed between us, but you're not even trying to do that. You're just used to not touching each other because somebody else is there. And, and so you have to like, and it's, it's just hard because you, when you're tired, you just, you want to disengage. And that's when you have to like, put one more foot out in front and just engage with your, with your wife. And you just have to, you got to ask Jesus to help you out with that, you know, because he's the only one that can give you strength to do that. We'll do uh, two more questions and we'll wrap it up. 
Okay, so I guess this is more for like singles, but how do you get over the fear of like marrying the wrong person or wrong? And then also, how do you know when they're like the one? It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) So all the married people in here would say that that, that's like a real fear. And I don't know that anyone like just just has figured it all out, you know, and it's going to be hard no matter who it is. And so, um, so the short answer to that would be like, if you're walking with the Lord, you just keep putting one foot in front of the other and like trust him. It's a major trust thing. And Anne's testimony, I just love how like his faithfulness, like was one place after the other. And knowing that like, he has plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And, and you just walk with him and, and, let it, and let life happen. And so I know that that's a horrible answer. And I know it's hard being single and trying to find the right person. And that can be very frustrating. Whether it's not just the right person, even it's, a, like, a person that's, like, variable you know so <laughs> I get it I mean on both sides I know single men single women it's just hard and so and it it takes a lot of of trust so um I would say praying and and then just enjoying life now would be my biggest encouragement to single people is enjoying the the life that you have currently the married life isn't going to get make life easier there are some blessings that come with it as there are some blessings of being single. And so really like capitalizing on those as a single person. Yeah. And you're, uh, ultimately, you know, Ezekiel says that God will actually answer us according to our idols. And so like the main thing is just let is being satisfied with Jesus and then he can give you good gifts. And, but whenever, if, we get really frustrated and disappointed if we're trying to use Jesus to find a spouse. And it's, there's such a wide spectrum of where all that can land. You know, it's just like you have to really walk with the Lord. For me, with Jessica, the way I knew she was the one, because with God, you always live by faith, right? And so it's, it's, there's always a level of risk associated with it. And, but for me, I was like, God, will you just confirm it to me in your word that Jessica's the one when I felt like I wanted to ask her to marry me? And he, he, remind, he brought me to uh, the story of Joseph, where he's like, Joseph married Mary in faith. And, and so it was, I was attracted to Jessica, thought she'd be a great wife, but you don't ever have this like, am I sure, am I sure, am I sure? You know, it's, you just have to like trust the Lord even in, in that. And, uh, the, and the most important thing is just that that person loves Jesus more than they love you, too. I'm going to go to Sarah Catherine. She was after this. We'll do this again, so if you didn't get your question, we'll do it another time. How do y'all model healthy conflict? We should probably get our children to answer that. <laughs> um, so we do fight in front of our kids. And... Uh, it's funny because they pick up on it even if they can't hear us. They just appear when we're fighting. Mama, why are you crying? 
because daddy was mean. <laughs> daddy hurt my feelings. <laughs> daddy, why are you crying? Because mama hurt my feelings. So they come in. They all three gather around. Our house is really small, and we tell them we are fighting. We are going to be fine. Now they have... Over the past five years, they started asking us if we're going to get a divorce. So we say, we're not going to get a divorce. We are going, we love each other. But we. It really wasn't that bad either. We're just, they just have heard of, like, they'll think of things because they have their friends in school have parents that are divorced, you know. So they're like, is this what that looks like? Is this what happens before a divorce happens? So then we'll say, you are welcome to watch talking about accountability when your children are watching, you know? So sometimes they'll go off and play and we have a couple of them that will just sit and watch us have the whole discussion. And so the only time we don't have conflict in front of them is if it's about them. And so, and then we'll say, we just need some time. We're talking about what we're gonna do about the whatever. We're going to do screen time on a weekday, you know, or we're trying to, we'll tell them what we're talking about, but we don't talk about it in front of them. And so we, um, but we will talk, we will do our, we'll fight. We usually come to a resolve and if we don't, we come to a, we'll finish later. And then if we've been rude to each other, then we repent to them for being rude to, like, I'll go and say, will you forgive me for the way I talked to daddy? Like, that wasn't respectful, and it wasn't kind, and I'm sorry I talked to him that way, and I asked them to forgive me. And they're really great about forgiving us. Um, And then I also sometimes say, if I scared you, will you forgive me? Because I can get really loud in, in fighting. And so I'll say, if I scared you, in the way I was talking, will you forgive me? And we'll talk about it. And it's, so that's how, I mean, in a practical way, that's how it looks. Yeah, and even if you say, we'll, we'll repent to each other and to the kids, even if we we said something in the words itself or it was, was not not wrong, but we delivered it in the wrong way. We d- delivered it disrespectfully or with a sharp tone, or whatever it is, because tone matters. Tone is a part of communication. And, uh, you know, and so if they hear me talk to Jessica that way, or I talk to them that way, man, I can't tell you how many times I've repented to the kids because of the way I said something, even though I, I, I was, they were doing something wrong, but I, I just, I got on them hard or whatever. And I was just like, listen, the way I communicated that, probably came across a lot more intense than what the situation really was. And so will you forgive me for that? And, uh, you know, same with Jessica, even if um, I was being honest with her and I was just asking maybe an honest question that wasn't accusatory, but my tone was intense or like, hey, let's get in a fight. Because, you know, you have that tone is like, <laughs> you know, you're just, you, you're like headbutting with your words and so, um, we just repent for that, and and that over the years our fights have gotten shorter because we've. It's not that we have less fights or conf- or conflicts. It's just we've learned to talk 
in a way and not get so offended because we even learned over the years that Jessica has no control over my happiness and my joy, really. Now, she's a primary person, and what she does influences me and can hurt me more than and, but people. But Jesus was, he lived with an unoffendable heart. People accused him of wrong things all the time, and he just was like, doesn't matter, Father loves me. And so you have to, that's what we're growing into as, in our relationships. So.